0: On the screen I have a picture of our two month old son or when he was two months old this picture took a lot of work and an effort and he's laying on a book called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. And I finished reading it last year, and we just happened to to name our son Hudson. And it is the most inspiring book that I've read in 2017. Hudson Taylor, great missionary to China. And he started an organization. He founded in 1865 called China the China Inland Mission, and it was a remarkable organization because he decided that the missionaries that he would enlist would not be guaranteed a salary, nor could they solicit for any sort of donations. They would just ask the Lord, and people thought that he was crazy to be starting this organization because who would join? And in 1876, 52 missionaries joined the China Inland Mission. In 1887, there were 102. And in 1900, when Hudson Taylor retired, there were 750 missionaries that were part of the China Inland Mission. And from 1865 to the time that he retired in 1900, he asked God alone for the funds and received a total of four million dollars during that time. And this is four million eighteen hundred dollars in the late 1800s. And thousands of souls were led to Christ as a result. Remarkable story. And I read an account in that book, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, and that just inspired me and warmed my heart. And it talked about his prayer life. This is from a third-person account, an individual that was there at a prayer meeting. And Mr. Taylor opened the meeting by leading out in a hymn. His appearance did not impress me. He was slightly built and spoke in a quiet voice. But when he said let us pray, and proceeded to lead the meeting in prayer, my ideas underwent a change. I never heard anyone pray like that. There was a simplicity, a tenderness, a boldness, a power that hushed and subdued me and made it clear that God had admitted him to the inner circle of his friendship. Such praying was evidently the outcome of long tarrying in the secret place and was as due from the Lord. To hear Mr. Taylor plead for China was to know something of what it is meant by the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. That meeting lasted from four to six o'clock, but it seemed one of the shortest meetings I had ever Attended. Hudson Taylor, missionary to China, phenomenal prayer life. As we look at our scripture reading today, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Jesus had a remarkable prayer life. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. And we know the impact of Jesus' life, of all the armies that ever marched, of all the navies that ever sailed, and all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned, put together have not affected the life of man upon the earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Jesus's life made remarkable impact on our culture and our civilization, and the impact of Jesus, one historian in his five-volume work on world history, historian, religious skeptic, H.G. Wells, found himself devoting the most space to Jesus Christ, and he wrote, a historian like myself cannot portray the life and the progress of humanity, honestly, without giving Jesus of Nazareth the foremost place. And from the beginning, I want to tell you my thesis, just so that you know what I'm talking about. Every spiritual revival can be traced to a person of prayer. You can see it. Sacred history, modern history when you look at every spiritual revolution or every spiritual revival anytime god is moving mightily upon his people it can be traced to a person of prayer you see in the life of hudson taylor you see in the life of Jesus Christ. And here's a quote from Richard Ellsworth Day, commenting on these great movements. It would be of no surprise if a study of secret causes were undertaken to find that in every golden era in human history proceeds from the devotion and righteous passion of some single individual. There are no bonafide mass movements. It only looks that way at the center of the column there's always one man or one woman who knows God and knows where he is going. Every spiritual revival can be traced to a person of prayer, a radical prayer life. Martin Luther, we just celebrated last year, the 500th anniversary of the reformation, changed the world, changed history, And when you look at the prayer life of Martin Luther, this is from Great Controversy, from the secret place of prayer came the power that shook the world in the Great Reformation. Luther did not fail to devote three hours each day to prayer, and these were taken from that portion of the day most favorable to study. The place of prayer was the place from which the world was shaken by the great reformation. Luther, on his knees, changed the world. And we think of Ahab and Jezebel and the apostasy in Israel. And James chapter 5, verse 17 says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are, and he prayed earnestly, and Israel was revived. We think of the book of Acts. The book of Acts began in a prayer meeting, in a prayer vigil, a prayer session, where men and women were gathering together in fellowship and community to pray, and the rest is history. They changed the world. Here's a quote that I quoted earlier in our series on the book of Acts: Three crucial decades in world history. That's all it took. In the years between AD 33 and 8064, a new movement was born. In those 30 years, it got sufficient growth and credibility to become the largest religion the world has ever seen and to change the lives of hundreds of millions of people. It has spread into every corner of the globe and has more than two billion putative adherents. Has left an indelible impact on civilization, on culture, on education, on medicine, on freedom, and of course on the lives of countless people worldwide. And the seedbed for all this, the time when it took decisive root, was in those three decades. It all began with a dozen men and a handful of women, and then the Spirit came. The Book of Acts was born. In a prayer meeting, I have a book in my library from E.M. Bounds on prayer, and he says this God shapes the world by prayer. Prayer is God's singular condition to move ahead in his son's kingdom. Therefore, the believer who's the most highly skilled in prayer will do the most for God, and the secret of success in Christ's kingdom is the ability to to pray. Now have you ever asked why ask God when he already knows what we need and he wants to give it to us? Well evidently there is this dynamic in the great controversy where there are rules evidently. Where God will not move above and beyond a certain point without your consent. Your consent in the great controversy is the most powerful thing that you can give God. Permission to intervene. You remember in the book of Jude where Jesus is going to resurrect Moses from the dead Who was standing there to contest the body of Moses? Satan was standing there. And Jesus said, the Lord rebuke you. Evidently, there was this disputing over the body of Moses, uh, which indicates when God is about to move and act, such as raising Moses from the dead, that Satan is contesting that intervention. And when you ask God for intervention in your own life, God then has permission to move above and beyond that which he would naturally be able because he's not going to barge his way into our lives there's a power also in intercessory prayer the Bible tells us when that story of that paralytic that was brought by four friends to Jesus and they tore down that roof to bring That friend to Jesus, by the way, there are people that can only come to Jesus if you bring them. They are not physically incapacitated, but they are morally incapacitated. And so these four friends bring this man to Jesus. They lay him before Jesus, and the Bible indicates when Jesus saw their faith. It was not his faith alone, but the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith. Did you know that you can have faith for somebody else? You can pray for someone else and say, Lord, please intervene in my son's life. Intervene in my daughter's life who is apart from you. Intervene in my parents' life. Intervene in my neighbor's life. And God is able to move beyond what he normally would. And when the devil's like, hey, what are you doing? He didn't ask for that. She didn't ask for that. Jesus says, the Lord rebuke you because He may not have asked for it, but his parents asked for it. And God is able to move. There is power in intercessory prayer. I don't understand all the dynamics of how it works. But when you pray for your son and daughter, heaven's resources are able to be marshaled above and beyond because of your consent on behalf of somebody else. Now, it's not the same as them asking for themselves, but there is power that God has entrusted us in, in this wonderful thing that we call intercessory prayer. It's not to change the heart of God. God wants to save them more than we do, but it's giving God permission and consent to intervene in someone else's life. The power of intercessory prayer We're told, by your fervent prayers of faith, you can move the arm that moves the world. We're also told in another place that prayer is the breath of the soul, the secret of spiritual power. Prayer is the key in the hand of faith that unlocks heaven's storehouse. There's something about prayer, and it is... Mystical, in a sense. It is mysterious. We don't understand all the dynamics of it, and it's very experiential. We live in an age that is high on experience. The millennials are looking for experience, and prayer is highly experiential. I can't explain all the formulas. I don't know if there is, but it is something that you have to experience in order to to know that it is real and that it works. This is from Dr. Wilbur Chapman. Revivals are born in prayer. When Wesley prayed, England was revived. When Knox prayed, Scotland was refreshed. When the Sunday school teachers of Tannenbrook prayed, 11,000 young people were added to the church in a year. Whole nights of prayer have always been succeeded by whole days of prayer of soul winning. Of soul winning. Very quickly, three keys in praying for revival. This may be your own spiritual revival. By the way, the word revive or revival comes from two words put together revive, the Latin word vivere, which means to live. It simply means to live again. To live again. The implication is at one time you were alive. But then you died, and then you need to live again. How many of us? You were born again, but your spiritual nature is dying or has died, and you need a revival. So, three keys to playing, praying for personal revival or for revival for someone else. And this is so uh, elementary in a sense. It says, ask for it. And this is not something that is to be taken lightly. You look at it in Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks, find. And to him who knocks, it'll be open. For if a person asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Notice, ask, 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 ask. ask. Six times, Jesus says to ask and will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, this is interesting. It says, How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And in the original language, it literally means to keep on asking, to persistently ask for the Holy Spirit and for revival. Christ's Object Lessons, page 145. God does not say, Ask once, and you shall receive. He bids us ask Unwearyingly persistent prayer, the persistent asking brings the petitioner into a more earnest attitude and gives him an increased desire to receive the things for which he asked. When we ask God, it changes us and increases our capacity to receive what God has in store for each one of us. It is part of God's plan to grant us In answer to the prayer of faith, that which he would not bestow, did we not ask? And in James chapter 4, verse 2, you do not have because you do not what? You do not ask God. So the asking is foundational. And then, Selected Messages 121, a revival need be expected only in answer to prayer to ask to repeatedly ask for revival do you desire that loved one in your life that is apart from god to come to him Amen. i mean do you, i mean talk about a transformation new impulses being awakened it can happen it can happen And we need to ask God and plead with God. I should say plead has a bad connotation, but we should ask God to intervene because he wants to save. But when we ask, we're giving God the right to intervene in the person's life that he would not have otherwise. A revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. Here's the other aspect. Um, Number one, ask for it. Number two, sacrifice for it. Now, sacrifice seems like a a dirty word, especially in the 21st century, doesn't it? Now, this is not implying that you earn it, but it does require sacrifice. This, This is a quote. I don't have it here on the screen. It says, we are never called upon to make a real sacrifice for God. This is a ministry of healing. We are never called upon to make a real sacrifice for God. Many things he asks us to yield to him, but in doing this we are but giving up that which hinders us in the heavenward way. Even when we are called upon to surrender those things which in themselves are good, we may be sure that God is thus working out for us some higher good. To pray like they did in the Bible, does require some sacrifice. And this is not an anomaly. Look at the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it was at this time he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole what? The whole night in prayer to God. Now this is Jesus. He doesn't need to pray. He doesn't need to pray. He could have depended on his divinity, but he chose to not depend on his divinity, but depend on the Father's power as our example. Jesus spent the entire night in prayer. Now, he did not do this every night. The Bible records a few times when he did this. He did this before choosing the 12 disciples, and he did this before the cross. But this indicates that when we want to see God move in a powerful way as never before, it requires sacrificial prayer, not because it's meritorious, but because David Chin is so thick headed that I need to pray and spend significant time on my knees so that my heart can be transformed and softened so that God can fill me. It's a process. I was at a prayer meeting uh, a number of years ago. I told this story, I think, in our Sabbath school class. And our six or seven people that were there at this particular prayer meeting uh, said, Pastor, this is not a prayer meeting. I said, oh, okay. Uh, This is a Bible study. We need to spend time in prayer at prayer meeting. And they said, we need to spend time in sacrificial prayer. I was like, oh, wow, members that are challenging the pastor. And I said, well, this is good. I said, well, I'll tell you what. This next Sunday, I'll be at the church at 4 a.m. to pray, sacrificially, because it is a sacrifice to get up that early. And you should have seen the saints', of the, the, the saints eyes when I said 4 a.m. But they were kind of in this because they had just said, we need to pray sacrificially, and so they said, pastor, we'll be there, we'll be there, and later on, I found out, as his one husband and wife couple were leaving, they said, this is insane, why don't you stop the man, you know, and then he, the husband said, why didn't you stop him, and so, uh, mind you, to get there at four, I had to wake up at three, and many times on Saturday night, because of ministry and other church functions, I'm out late and go to bed at midnight, so I'm getting up at 3, and so I got up at 3, got to the church at 4, and I assumed that no one was going to be there, and I would pray for about half an hour in the sanctuary, and I'd be like, oh, we took care of that problem, right? (laughs) So I'm there, get there early at 3.45, open up the church, I'm in the sanctuary praying, and then the saints come in, you know, bags under their eyes, and just, they come in to pray, and we started to pray, for, asking for the Holy Spirit and for a revival, 4 a.m., and this continued on for like seven months. Seven months, and we decided that we would move, move it to, to 7 a.m. afterwards, and uh, to be a little bit more temperate, it was just, just not sustainable, but there was something special about that time at 4 a.m., you know, uh, we were two blocks from Michigan State University it 's a party a party uh, university, but at, but at three am or 3.30 when you 're driving in there, there 's not a soul on the streets, and it 's just that quiet. And we saw the spirit of God move on that congregation as never before, and uh, souls being saved into god 's kingdom, and it is because when we spend time with God in prayer, it leads us to a posture of dependence. I find that if I don't spend time in prayer, I get pretty self-confident. Like, I can do this. But the very posture of prayer indicates I need help. And there's a reason why it's called sweet hour of prayer, because it is sweet. It is sweet. Jesus spent the entire night in prayer. This is from E.M. Bounds in his book. It's a rebuke to my heart. There was a time when we gave whole nights to chambering and to wantonness, to dancing and the world's reverie. We did not tire then, and we were chiding the sun that rose so soon and wishing the hours would lad a while while that we might delight in wilder merriment and perhaps deeper sin. Oh, why do we then weary in heavenly employments? Why do we grow weary when asked to watch with our Lord? Do you remember those days in the world? I know you do. All night partying, all night revelry, all night doing foolishness. And then suddenly you become a Christian, and it's like, oh, we're going to have an all-night prayer vigil, oh! Oh! I mean, this is what he's saying. This is what he's saying. And what a contrast. When you're in the world, you're partying all night, and you're like, I just partied all night. But when it comes to spending time with God, it's like, oh, why would I want to do that? I mean, just unique. Unique how we see things. sacrifice. But is it really a sacrifice? The next thing is we must live it. We must live it. The world is looking for authenticity, for realness, for genuineness. This is from Ministry of Healing, page 469, 470, commenting on Jesus. Had his, Jesus' life, been other than it was, he could not have spoken as he did. His words bore with them a convincing power. Why? Because they came from a heart-pure and holy, full of love and sympathy. It is our own character and experience that determine our influence upon others. In order to convince others of the power of Christ, we must know its power in our own hearts and lives. The reason that Jesus spoke as no one else did is because no one lived as Jesus did. There was an authenticity A realness that was there. This is going to happen, folks. Great Controversy 464 says there will be among the people of the Lord such a revival of primitive godliness as has not been witnessed since apostolic times. The word primitive there is another word for simplicity and genuineness and authenticity. It's going to happen. There is going to be a generation of individuals that are going to love Jesus and allow his love to be reproduced in their own hearts as never before. There will be this revival. The Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. And there's no reason why daily we can be experiencing. The early rain in preparation for the latter rain. Amen? There's no reason why we can't be praying for revival in our daily lives and also for praying for our loved ones that don't know the Lord. I know all of us have people in our lives that don't know Jesus, don't we? Maybe it's a son or a daughter brother or sister, parent, maybe it's a neighbor. And if they were to die today, they would be lost. They would be lost. And we have this awesome privilege today to pray as never before and say, Lord, whatever it takes, Save me and save those that I love. That's a bold prayer to pray. Lord, whatever it takes, save me and save those that I love. How many of you desire that today? Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. Lord, this is not a drudgery. This is not salvation by prayer, but it's an awesome privilege. Lord, you have entrusted to us the freedom of choice, the power of consent. And Lord, we want to consent for your intervention in our lives today. Please, help us to be willing to be made willing. Give us a love for souls for whom Christ died. Help us to pray as never before for our loved ones and for their eternal salvation, that they might be in the kingdom when you come in the clouds of glory. May our children be with us there when you come in the clouds of glory. May our parents, our brothers and sisters, our friends and neighbors be there. And Lord, we pray that you'd give us a love for souls for whom Christ died. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.